Hi everybody, see you update time again. It's uh, the 27th of February 2010. Seems I've done a lot more of this than I expected to be doing this year. But uh, anyway, there seems to be a lot going on, so um, I thought I'd uh, get as many out, hopefully not make them too long and uh, keep you guys in the loop. Uh, Norm will obviously put the number of this one on there and any, uh, any other documents that we need to add to it. Um, I still, I'm still in the process of getting together and doing a, um, a podcast with John and uh, Jesame and Noemi at different times, so you can give you guys a bit of an insight as to what they actually are doing at the moment, and uh, yeah, there's plenty going on in their world as well. Um, first of all, just an update on some numbers. I, um, I thought I'd... Uh, uh, recruiting at the moment. Recruiting is, a, um, is, is, an, is interesting times, and uh, we're at the point now where I think we've probably even got a little bit too many. Um, so we're not actually actively looking for advisors. We're on about 65 advisors and 34 practices at the moment. Um, I've been turning away quite a few. You know, if anyone sort of smells even a little bit bad at the moment, we're not even talking to them, um, which is, you know, dried the recruiting numbers up a little bit. And I think we want to set that so we can really bet in some good processes for you guys. And so, um, look, at I'm still happy to take some referrals. And if you see someone who's good out there, they, you know, they have to be really good and someone will fit. Um, really well in the group, no baggage. You know, there's some, you know, some good young practices out there that all fit really, really well. But um, yeah, so uh, not really looking at this one. More concentrating on uh, getting down and doing some work and embedding in some processes. Look, next thing is I want to talk about is the conference. Look, there's heaps of um, discussion going around about the coronavirus and uh, the location in the Philippines and you know everything else that's going on. What I want to do is I just want to explain you know, exactly how this thing is panning out from my end. You know, in the next week or so, I've got to give a, I've got to send a check to a, uh, the Shangri-La in, in the Philippines. Now, at the moment, the Philippines has probably had less exposure to coronavirus than Australia has. So basically, when you're there, there's really virtually no risk different to Australia. The next thing, the, you know, the only real risk, well, the, the main real risk is in the travel. And obviously, if you're getting on a plane and there's been lots of other people on the plane, it's, um, you know, the, the chances of uh, coming into contact with something is a little bit higher. Or where there's been a lot of um, education around what can actually be transported through the air conditioning system of an aeroplane. And basically, once it uh, gets into the air conditioning system, it's, it's done. And so the, uh, the, the virus doesn't exist after that. So that's, um, that's reasonable news. Look, the other thing is, uh, from a flight perspective, a lot of people have been going in trying to buy their flights nice and early because they'll get it cheaper. There is a bit of a hiatus, and generally what happens up to about 21 days short of the, you know, your intended area, there's not a big change in the actual prices. And if you have a look at the, um, at, um, the actual price to fly, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference whether you book it now or you book it in May. And so I wouldn't get too hooked around the actuals about getting a, the, the cheapest flight in there. The good thing about um, Cebu is you can get there via Manila, you can get there via Singapore, you can get there via Hong Kong. Um, there's probably a few other places that fly there as well. And there's definitely lots of places that actually fly. I think there might even be a Philippines Air flight that leaves from Australia somewhere, which will get you straight in. The problem that I've had the other day was the fact that I actually flew to Hong Kong. And at that point, the Philippines actually closed their borders to anything to do with China. You know, there was no basis really with Hong Kong because nothing had really come in, but they just wanted to just close the gate because they didn't. They thought that they didn't have the resources to be able to handle an outbreak in the Philippines. So at this point, we are, we're going ahead with the conference. Um, it's really from the boards from, from the majority of the board at this point, we don't assess the travel risk as huge at the moment, and ultimately, 
traveling to somewhere else in Australia is almost just as high risk as traveling overseas to the Philippines. And so, look guys, put your name down for the conference. This conference is going to be really, really good. Getting that access to the team in the Philippines is um, is a reward for them and a reward for us. And you'll find that your business will flourish as a result of your relationship with the team. And you'll find everybody who has had that, um, that close interaction with anyone in the team, their business is just using them so much more intelligently now and going forward. So um, look, that's where I'm sitting with the conference. It's, it's going to be a great conference. It's a beautiful venue. There's some great places on the island to extend either before or after afterwards. But um, yeah, get your uh, your information back to Noemi so we can actually get a, a better feel for how many rooms we need to book because obviously this is quite a large expense and uh, you know we want to make sure our sponsors get value for money. The other thing is that from a sponsor's perspective, I found that the sponsors are super keen. Like they're all saying, yeah, 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 let's get on board and we want to come to the Philippines and spend some time with your advisors. And the other thing is it takes a lot of the influences away from us as well. So you actually get um, a better bang for your buck at the conference. Anyway, look, another thing I want to do now, I've just started my, um, you know, I've been doing some pre-vets, I've been doing the, um, by getting around doing my um, site visits, I've been looking at a lot of the advisors' paperwork, and yeah, there's work to do. Well, maybe a lot more work for me. But anyway, one thing I have noticed is that, you know, we need to be changing the way we look at things specifically. And I know I spoke about this at the conference, but ultimately, the fund managers no longer control what we do. Essentially, fund managers have been saying, right, this is the fee we're going to charge, we'll collect it for you, um, we'll make sure you do this, we'll give you the software, etc., etc., etc. And um, they've become a very, very big part of our business. At the moment, a number of the fund managers aren't doing as good a job of that as they have been. And the bigger they get, the more cumbersome they become and the more difficult it is for them to actually change things. The other thing that I'm finding is with the fund managers, they're more than happy to throw you under the bus. If they think that um, you've done something you know, tiny, because they've got ASIC sitting in them, you, know, they, you may not have even done anything wrong. They just have to get a smell of something um, that another advisor did that looked like you, and they're going to throw you out. And now then, if you're in a position where you've actually become very, very um, entrenched in a particular business, you know, a fund manager... Then and they throw you out, then all of a sudden you've got to completely change your business. So what my advice is from this is take over, you know, while this turmoil is on, take hold of your business, you get the reins and you can control what you actually do. So, you know, start working on how you actually can collect your fees, start working on how you um, um, charge your clients and what you actually do. Look at your P&L. Calculate how much it costs you to run your business, multiply, divide that by the number of clients you want, and ensure you actually get that much money from them to break even. Then you incorporate a profit margin, and when you add that profit margin on, you think, right, oh, well, that's all fine. I can actually exist on this and make enough money. Then you have to put your premium on, and that's a risk premium, which generally works into being an asset-based fee. So there's a lot of fees going out that say, for example, are 3000 bucks a year to provide your ongoing service and to monitor your strategy and your portfolio. And in addition to that, you put an asset-based fee for any business above 500000 for example, which allows you then to get uh, remunerated for the additional risk that you have for such a high-risk um, business. Um, but anyway, the bottom line is fund managers no longer control us. Now, just on that, fund managers, um, net wealth, net wealth have um, sending out a bit of paperwork, and I think they're lifting the fee on the smaller end of the clients. I don't think all of us put a lot of smaller guys in there, but the good thing is that uh, they're moving existing clients that you may have on your book that aren't on our preferred pricing across to the preferred pricing. So, look, if you're not sure about what's happening in that perspective, get a hold of net wealth, and um, and they'll 
talk to you. In addition to that, I know Premium have also sent out new rates for us. So we're entering into a, an agreement with Premium. Um, they've got a, a really funky platform with some um, with some great software, and they've been around for quite some time in the independent space. So um, you know, if they give you a call, get them in, have a bit of a look, and just see what you know, see if they can actually work in in your business. Look, the other thing I'm encouraging people to do, that practices to do, is on a quarterly basis or on a um, whenever you have your your investment meeting. Sit down and compare a couple of platforms. Look at your, you know, your standard sort of client. Maybe it might be a three hundred thousand dollar client or a five hundred thousand dollar pension client or whatever you're looking at. Stick the numbers into, um, you know, a net wealth or a premium, um, a first choice wholesale. And put them in together. And look at the type of investments that you want to put them in and work out what is the best. And so then when you say, when I come into your office and you say, I say, well, you know, what are you recommending? If you might say, well, I, you know, we only use net wealth, and I'm going, well, say, well, prove to me that that is the most appropriate fund for you to be using. And um, and if you can go and get that document for me to show that you've actually considered it, it's, it just holds a lot more water. Yeah, a lot of people say that you know, it doesn't matter too much about the platforms, but at the end of the day, due diligence will show that you've actually researched, you know, and, and you owe it to your clients to actually research the platform so you're actually putting them in the right one and the one that's most appropriate. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that is the most that, that that's the cheapest because you've got, got to account, take into account the you know the, the software platform, the back office service, the the investment list, um, the longevity, the business risk. You know and that that's that's the one thing I went back to earlier. There's a huge amount of business risk in this market at the moment. You know anything that um, any fund manager that's linked to a big bank bank, they've got some serious troubles going on there. You know and especially if the big bank's trying to sell that fund. If you're in a, you know, with a fund manager who's about to get sold, then you know you, you know what the risks are going to be, and there's going to be risk of another significant change. So um, hold on tight if you're in that position. Um, okay, business strategy. The IFA run the business strategy day. I think I sent Noem sent an email out, and she'll send that out again. We've got a discount code to go to those business strategy days. They're great because you get listen to someone other than me harping in your ear about how important it is to work on your business and get things right. Um, business is 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 so complicated these days. But the thing is, we're at a point now where we can't just keep just chugging along doing what we do. We actually have to seriously consider how our business is, what, what we want from our business, and uh, start driving the business in that direction. Um, yeah, I know, guys. It's hard to actually have to think about your business as well. But guess what? It's time. Um, so yeah, that business, that IFA business strategy day. That's that's yeah out there. Um, and Noem's just got the details on that. The next thing is um, pre-vets. I've had a look at a few pre-vets. I've been uh, you know, doing some work with John on, uh, on pre-vets. And look, it's, it's quite refreshing, some of the advice that we give, but it's also, you know, it's pretty easy to find lots of holes in the advice. What I want to do is I want you to consider not about ticking the boxes. Like our advice process is not about ticking the boxes to get, you know, the most squeaky clean piece of advice. The, our goal is to get out there fair, complete advice that's free of conflict. You know, the fairness and completeness is really, really important. And what that means is from a completeness, don't scope anything out unless the, unless the client specifically wants to. I know we only want to talk to them about their super or their retirement, but if they, you know, and they may not want to scope the other stuff out. And in which case you may not have to give it advice in that point, but at some point in time you need to address it. But um, I'm getting you know the odd file in where people tick 
you know, it, it's scoped out, but there's no reason as to why it's scoped out. And so if you're going to scope something out, put a story in there, put a file note in that explains why it's scoped out. Next thing is your file notes need to tell the, give us the information about your first meeting. A lot of you guys don't actually give us the full story about the first meeting with your clients. And you know, what that means is, you know, I met with this client and they said, you know, they really, really love shares. They wanted to be in the share market because that's where they think that the growth is going to be. They uh, they think everyone else that they're talking to super is um, doing better than theirs and that's why they, they're looking at something more substantial. Now, if that, if that sort of discussion comes up, obviously it makes your job really easy. You look for some method of getting them into shares, whether that be direct, because then you just you document your discussion about managed funds, ETFs and shares, and then you give them appropriate um, investment um, that, that suits that. And so it's a, um, look, I, I really want you to be more careful about documenting all of the details in there. And so the first thing that um, we're, we're going into is that when John looks at your, your pre-vets, he looks at something and says, right, I will put them into this investment or they put them into this and we're going to go, why? And then we're going to look through a file notes to see, well, why did they actually choose this? And then we're going to look and say, well, you know, if they've decided that, if you said that that's the best or that's the cheapest or that's the whatever you've decided, I'm going to ask you to prove it. And, you know, it's, you just have to be able to prove what you do. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in every SOA, but it does need to be somewhere in your files. Um, next thing is your comparisons. Like I'm getting people that you're doing comparisons and the comparisons just are not real. Like you're comparing products that, you know, that are specifically to make the client think, yeah, yeah, that's a better situation. But don't compare stuff for comparing sake. Compare it because, you know, it's the client probably needs to know the option, you know, and if you're looking at a net wealth, compare it to Hub, or if you're looking at a, a Russell Investments, compare it to um, Model, uh, sorry, SMA, compare it to a Beta Shares SMA. You know, obviously, you know, you know if they're in QSuper or they're in, um, you know, REST or something like that, compare it to that first, but then actually give some advice down the track. But whatever you do, when you're comparing something, make sure you compare it to something real as well as obviously doing the, you know, proving that it's a better position, but then actually do some real comparisons because, you know, I want our advice to be advice. We're not, we're not order takers. We don't just sit back and take what we want to get to give some advice. Um, ongoing service agreements. I've seen a couple of ongoing service agreements over the last couple of weeks and they're a little bit thin on the ground. They have, um, you know, they've got a lot of mumbo-jumbo in them about, um, you know, um, I don't know. They've um, your, your your obligations, um, authorized either authorized and direct, and you know your declarations and agreements and third party referrals and confidentiality and look, a lot of that stuff isn't required. It's in our FNA and it's in our FSG. Your ongoing service agreement needs to be a clear documentation of what you're going to do for them, and maybe even what you have done for them. What I'm doing is I've actually drafted one up. I've just got it with John at the moment and Jess and I are both having a look at it. They're probably going to jazz it up and I hope you get a draft out at some point you know, this week or early next week because I want you guys to be able to have a look at something and a different, you know, just from different eyes. So we're not trying to bash down this old compliance eyes where you have clause 2.1.1 says that blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not what our agreement needs to be because we don't want to be in that position. There's enough paperwork going on that the advisors, that the clients don't understand. So anyway, I'll get I'll get I'll get that out pretty soon. Um, knowing your numbers, look, I've been looking carefully at work sorted for a lot of guys, and you know when I'm having my um, on, my um, ongoing meetings, it's 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 awesome to see that numbers are changing within work sorted. 
get in there and have a look at your numbers. Learn how to do some of the reports. It's seriously, it'll take an hour out of your life. But if you do those reports, the data that you can actually drag out is going to make your life completely different. It's going to make you a lot more focused on what things make your money and what things don't make your money. And you'll find that there's a big bunch of clients sitting on your book that make you less than 5% of your income, but they, you know, they're causing a huge percentage of your risk. And so I'm thinking about knowing your numbers, knowing your clients and getting in and have a look. And then when I say know your clients, I'm not saying I don't care if you know their dog's name and where the kids go to school and where their mum was born. Knowing your clients is knowing how much money they actually bring you in, how valuable they are and how much time it takes you to deal with them. Knowing your clients to the extent of, you know, the first bit of, you know, schools and all that sort of stuff, that's your, (laughs) that's your staff's job. And you don't need to know your clients to that level, and I don't want you doing that because I think that that's outside the scope of an advisor. Um, power planning. Just an update on power planning is that now we've got. Um, I'm just building up my um, overflow section, so essentially we're not going to. Um, we've bought an over, overflow section in that, that is in Australia, so um, we're going to be pushing some of the plans through to the Australian organisation. Now, there may be a slight difference in the fees. So, for example, we're in Australia, we're paying 250 bucks for a basic plan, 350 for a, um, a multiple strategy plan, and 450 for a complete plan. So just be wary that if you get, do get charged something differently, it may have gone to the organisation in Australia. Now, if that's the case and you don't want that, um, let Jessamay know or let Honey know when you actually put the plan in because the plans still go to the same place, but uh, well, then we'll, we allocate them from there. Uh, most of the people that are involved we've talked to, but uh, just be wary that um, if your plan does come back a little bit differently, that's what's happening and um, obviously we're after some feedback. My objective is to, the, is to push a lot more plans onshore in the future because we're getting too many to handle and we can't keep up with them with our Philippines resource. Um, last item I want to talk to you about is the newsletter, Feedsy. Now, a lot of a lot of the new guys aren't taking up the um, Feedsy and putting your uh, your clients' email addresses onto there. So what we've got is Feedsy put out a monthly email newsletter. It's really funky, looks great on your phone. It's got a couple of good stories. It's a lifestyle type thing with a couple of um, financial stuff in there as well. It's, it's it's pretty good. If you want to get a test, send Noemi the email address that you want it actually sent to, and she'll make sure that you actually get one in on your, your on your phone. Um, and then from then on, you can just send us a list of, uh, you know, it, the more details you get, obviously, if you send us a birth date and a devisor name and that sort of stuff, there can be more actually on the, the initial email and we can cover cover off more stuff. But at the end of the day, if you send me through the email addresses, we can actually log you in to get the Fiji newsletter. All right, I think that'll do. I've gone way long. I'm up around the 18 minute net mark now and I apologize for that, but there's plenty going on. So just remember, get back to us as soon as you can about the conference. Look, don't, don't, be a, don't, don't be too concerned about the risk because we'll manage that at our end. And if it gets to the point where the we can't actually get there in August, we will move the conference. And so the Shangri-La has said that they'll postpone the conference for us for up to six months. Um, and, you know, I, I assume they'll move even more than that. And, I, you know, and I hope that from a world level we can sort out this coronavirus well and truly within the, the next period of time. So um, a shorter period of time. So um, yeah, get in. Look, the, the conference is definitely going to be worth it. You may want to hold off in buying your flights, but um, definitely RSVP to the conference and uh, let's get everyone over there and um, have a bit of a celebration for what's been a reasonably tough year. Um, look forward to catching up with you all in the future. There's new news from Colonial First State that will be out on Monday. I'm not allowed to say anything about that yet. So um, let's look forward to uh, talking about that next week. But um, that'll do me for today. Catch you guys later.